Welcome back to the Vine Church podcast. Today we are continuing our sermon series, Building Back Better, exploring the book of Haggai. If you haven't already, you can find us on YouTube at the Vine Church Odium and Church Crookham, and would love to have you join us over there. Good morning, everybody. Great to be with you today. So, as I was thinking about the book of Haggai, and and how can I summarize the first chapter of Haggai, this little minor prophet tucked away at the end of the Old Testament, the message of chapter one, what was it all about? And uh, I'll I'll tell you a quick story. So, uh, there's this dad, it's Saturday, and uh, he's watching the World Cup football tournament on the telly. He's got his beer in hand, he's on the settee, and he's got his little girl next to him, and she's pestering him, and she's saying, Dad, Dad, um, I, I, it's, it's Saturday. Can you take me to the sweet shop? And Dad's kind of saying, no, 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 I'm watching this. I need to watch the rest of this match, okay? It's a couple of hours, it's an hour or so, and then I'll, I'll take you. And the, the girl is pestering, saying, Dad, Dad, I want to go to the sweet shop. So the dad picks up a magazine off the floor, and it's a World Cup supplement magazine, and he opens it, and there's this picture of the world, uh, and it's got all the nations and all the teams, and it's, it's, a, it's a complicated picture. And he tears this page up into little pieces in front of his daughter, who's looking from behind, and he puts the pieces on the floor, and he says to his daughter, look, you go and get some sellotape, put the world back together again, And when you've done that, I promise I'll take you straight to the sweet shop. And Dad's thinking, you know what? I've got at least an hour now. She will have no idea how the world fits together. About 10 minutes later, the little girl stands up proudly and holds up a completed jigsaw of the world. She's done it. Dad's thinking, "How, how, how did she just do that? I mean... I'm watching this World Cup from Brazil uh, on the telly, but she's put the whole world together. How did you do it? So the little girl says, well, Dad, what you didn't realize was on the back of the picture of the world in that magazine, there was a statue of Jesus on the cross. I think it was Rio de Janeiro, the famous statue of Jesus on the cross. And I knew that I knew how Jesus fits together. So I thought if I put Jesus in the right place, then the whole world will fit together. So dad picked up the remote control, turned off the telly, took his daughter's hand. And as he walked out, he sighed and he thought to himself, hmm, when you put Jesus in the right place, the whole world fits together. Now, In the day of Haggai, in 520 BC, obviously Haggai and the people didn't explicitly know about Jesus, but the principle was still the same. The people in 520 BC in Jerusalem and Judah, whilst paying lip service to God, they actually neglected God. They'd given up on his house. His temple lay as a burnt-out ruin. In chapter 1, we read how Haggai, on the 29th of August, 520 BC, had stood up and given his first speech. Put God in the right place and your broken world will fit back together again. And so, in short order, they had done exactly what Haggai had said. 
They'd all gathered at the temple site on the 24th of September to start the work of rebuilding. Now we're in chapter two of Haggai. It's a month later, a month after they started building. On the 21st of October, and already after just one month of trying to rebuild, there is an atmosphere of defeatism and discouragement that has set in. In verse three, we read that they said this, doesn't it look like nothing to you? After one month, they haven't really made much progress. They're feeling overwhelmed and they kind of want to give up. And I would suggest that from this passage, we see that there are three obstacles to them rebuilding this temple. Today, I want to talk to you about three obstacles to building and three encouragements to help us build. You see, we're all called to build good things into our lives, aren't we? We wanna build good character. We wanna build good marriages, good families, good communities, good businesses, good churches. We're all called to build, but there are things that will try to stop us from building and distract us. And there are also encouragements to help us to carry on with the work. So let's have a look at, first of all, the three obstacles to building. And the first was this, the magnitude of the task. I mean, simply put, this task just seemed overwhelming. Given the resources they had, the scant resources that they had, it actually was gonna take four years to rebuild this temple, and they felt overwhelmed by the magnitude of the task. Perhaps sometimes you feel overwhelmed by the magnitude of the task in front of you. You know, you've got GCSEs or A-levels in nine months time and your teachers keep reminding you and you're thinking, well, I've just done, I've just missed six months of school, you know, ah, it's a bit overwhelming. Or perhaps as a teacher, you think, how on earth am I gonna get this cohort through this? Or perhaps as an NHS worker, you're thinking, I don't know how I'm gonna cope this winter. Or perhaps at work, you're thinking, how am I gonna keep my business afloat? I mean, you say Jesus is king, but as far as I'm concerned, cash is king. And I haven't got a lot of it at the moment. Or you think at home, you know, how am I gonna deal with this debt? It just feels overwhelming. Or you think my marriage is in ruins, and if I even start a conversation, it it ends in an argument, how do I even start? Or you think, I wanna help out, I wanna do something in the world, but you feel like it's just a drop in the ocean. Where do I start? There's so much need out there. I wanna help the kids in the townships to get a better education. I wanna start a community fridge in Fleet, but I just haven't got the resources. I wanna get a congregation back as a church. We wanna build the church, and yet it feels overwhelming. By the way, just to say this, if you don't sometimes feel overwhelmed by the task in front of you, if you don't feel a little bit daunted, stretched, challenged by your goals, I'm gonna say your goals aren't big enough. Your ambitions aren't challenging enough. You see, all of us should have goals that are stretching, that we couldn't possibly do this unless God helped us to do it. You know, we all want to pray that little bit longer or be that better witness to people or be that better person or achieve more. 
But you know what? We need big, hairy, audacious goals. We need goals that are going to stretch us. We need goals that only we can do with God's help. So maybe you need to ask God to give you a bigger goal. Now, I guess Gideon, as we just heard in the story, felt pretty overwhelmed with the goal that he had been given by God. And Israel, certainly at the time of Haggai, felt overwhelmed by the task in front of them. Just tiny little Judah. I mean, back in the day when Solomon had originally built this temple, he'd had ample resources. He'd had tons of gold. He'd had lots of bling. They brought it in on ships. He had, uh, he had a large empire that stretched from the Mediterranean to Egypt. He had a contract with, with the Phoenicians who supplied cedar for him. He had 30,000 laborers who were conscripted to work for him to build the temple. That was then. But now, a few hundred years later, as they try to rebuild the temple, Judah is just a tiny minority in a vast Persian empire that dominates the geopolitical landscape. Tiny little Judah, little old us, how can we do anything. So firstly, then, the magnitude of the task. The second thing is the magnificence of the past. This also can discourage us. We look back and we remember, as Joshua was speaking last week, and we can do that, can't we? We can think, you know, I used to have so much more energy when I was younger, or my health isn't the way that it used to be. Or I used to work in a high-powered job, and now it's just really hard. Or we can look back. You know, I used to have a huge team. I used to have a big allowance. Now everyone's doing twice as much as they used to for half the salary. And, you know, it's just really hard. We can look back and we can remember the days when the church, I can remember this building, used to be, you know, full of people. And you'd have everyone, the charismatic hop, dancing in this building. I mean, we even had tambourines back then. Those were the good old days, weren't they? Or maybe not. But we can look back and we can be kind of daunted by the past. In Haggai chapter 2 and verse 3, it says, Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? You see, they look back and they remembered Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple was fancy. It was covered in gold. It was, it was rich. It was beautiful. And, and now they haven't got any of those resources. And so you can imagine the old people pottering down to the temple site on their Zimmer frames. And they're saying, they don't make temples like they used to, you know. And so the magnitude of the past and third obstacle that can put us off is this, the major difficulties that we face right here, right now. I don't know about you, but I find that in church life and in my life, it can feel a little bit like my petrol-driven hedge trimmer if I haven't serviced it and I try and start it. And you kind of pull the lever and it splutters and it starts and it goes, and then it just dies. And you kind of start it again and it kind of sputters into life and then it dies again. And sometimes life at the moment can feel like that, can't it? You kind of just get going and then, oh, 
there's another change, there's another restriction, there's another uncertainty, there's another delay, there's another difficulty. And it's just tough, it's hard work to get anything done at this time. And certainly the people of God, they'd had three festivals that they'd had to observe during this month when they were trying to rebuild. The third of those festivals was seven days long, the Feast of Tabernacles, in which they remembered how God had delivered them out of Egypt. And they had to live in tents as a reminder of their journey through the wilderness. And they'd had to spend seven days just downing tools and, and, and celebrating what God had done in the past. And yet there were all these delays that stopped them from getting on with building this temple. And so on the 17th of October, after a month of discouragement, delay, and dilly-dallying, God speaks again through the prophet Haggai. And the challenge will be from Haggai will be this. Will we live by God's word or will we live by the circumstances that surround us? Will we trust what God says or will we let our senses determine how we feel? There's a famous missionary by the name of Anne Judson. She was one of the first female American uh, uh, foreign missionaries. She went with her husband to Burma and she had 10 years of disappointment. As she set out on mission with her husband, she lost her children through miscarriages and so on. There was health issues. Her husband was imprisoned for being an English spy, they said. She had so many difficulties. They hardly saw any fruit in the first 10 years of their missionary work. And she said this, I find it hard to live by faith and to confide entirely in God. The way is dark before me. But if the way was plain and easy, where would be the confidence in God? You see, the Christian life is full of promises, but then we have our current circumstances and the choices before us, will we hold on and act on the promises or will we just look at the circumstances and the waves around us? So Haggai brings God's promises and he reminds them and encourages us to keep building. And he gives them three encouragements. In fact, in the passage here, it says, take courage, take courage, take courage. Three times it says, take courage. The first encouragement that he gives them is this, take courage from the past. Haggai reminds them of God's faithfulness to them and their ancestors in the past. And he reminds them the same God who got them through that will get you through this. You know, we can either let the past be a source of discouragement to us, or it can be a source of encouragement to us. Think about it. The same God who came good for you back then is with you now, and he hasn't changed. And so he can come good for you right now as well. So rather than letting the past mock us, let's let the past motivate us. I mean, think about it. That time when you survived near death, 
and yet you're still here. That terrible thing that you did, and yet by the grace of God, you're still standing. That awful experience you had when you lost a loved one, and yet God got you through it. You're still here. That terrible time when you lost your job or something went wrong, you're still okay. God was faithful to you. He's got you to where you are right now, and he will be with you as you continue on in your journey with him. In Haggai chapter 2 and verse 5, Haggai says this to the people, This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Haggai says this to them. Remember when you were slaves in Egypt, you were powerless. You had no ability to get out of slavery, and yet God set your people free. God got you out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. God did miracles on your behalf. God got you through the Red Sea when you thought you would never be able to get through. When you got into the desert, you thought you'd die of hunger, and yet God provided for you. You thought you would die of thirst, and yet God gave you drinks. You thought that you would never get through this desert experience, and yet you got through it. God got you through it. God was faithful to you. His spirit was among you, as Isaiah says about that time in uh, Egypt. The spirit was with them during that time going out of Egypt through the, through the Red Sea, through the desert. And now Haggai says, that same spirit remains among you now. So do not fear. Your confidence is rooted in God's track records from the past. In fact, the Feast of Tabernacles reminds them of how God delivered them in the past. It turns out that God has done this discouraging, defeatist thing before. And he's good with unpromising situations. God specializes in crises. He loves the challenge. So stop listening to narratives of defeat and remember that God has already won the victory. If he could cause his son to die on the cross for our sins and rise from the dead, surely he too can be with us in our unpromising situation right now. So the second encouragement that Haggai gives them is this, take courage in the present. I mean, I can look back in my past and I can remember God's faithfulness to me, providing for me, keeping me safe through so many different things. And I'm sure you too can. But take courage in the present is the second encouragement. Joshua says, uh, Haggai says this in chapter 2 and verse 4, be strong, all you people of the Lord, and work, for I am with you. Listen, we need to stop fighting this current situation we're in and stop resenting the situation we're in. And instead, I believe that we need to embrace this period that we're in as a gift from God. I mean, I'm sure you've all watched the movie Groundhog Day. Yeah, who's watched the movie Groundhog Day? It's one of my favorite movies, fantastic movie. And, you know, we know the movie, don't we? Bill Murray portrays Phil, Phil Connors, the weatherman, who gets trapped 
in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. He gets trapped in a time loop that forces him to relive the 2nd of February again and again and again and again. The word, the phrase Groundhog Day has become a common term to reference a repetitive, unpleasant, monotonous situation. But the writer of Groundhog Day says this about the movie. He added, Reuben said this, at the start of the loop, it was the worst day in Phil's life. By being forced to change who he is, to embrace the world around him, and each moment of his day, it becomes the best day of his life, the day he falls in love. In a 2017 interview, Murray said that he believed Groundhog Day still resonated because it is about the idea that we just have to try again. It's just a beautiful, powerful idea. You know, with God, the worst of times can become the best of times. There's an article by a... um, A Christian, the leader of the Baptist Union, and she wrote, Lynn Green wrote this, the General Secretary, commenting on a passage in scripture that says, behold, I am doing a new thing. She says this about our current situation. I believe that the place we find ourselves in now is a transitional space, an in-between place where we have left behind the former things and we are venturing towards the new that we cannot yet see. This is not a space to get through, but a call from God inviting us to dwell in the present moment with him, embracing all that is at the moment and perceiving what he is doing in this season. And that's a great quote. Don't fight this current season, embrace it and let it be become the best of times for us and not the worst of times because God is with us in the present. And then finally and thirdly, let me just say this, Haggai brought encouragement to them, take courage for the future. Take courage from the past, take courage in the present and finally take courage for the future. It tells us in Haggai chapter 2 and verses 6 to 9. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, while I I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and the desired of all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. In other words, he's saying this, play the long game. You're going to get through this and there is a brighter future. Now, last week, Joshua spoke about how ultimately this is fulfilled in Jesus. There is a glorious future for the world and for the church that God is going to bring about. But there was also an immediate fulfillment for the people of Haggai at the time. 
What God was saying to the people was this, look, you don't think you've got the resources to do this job, to build this house, but that's okay because I've got the resources. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take the wealthy nations around you and I'm gonna turn them upside down and shake out their pockets and they are gonna end up providing what you need to rebuild this house and get this temple filled with glory. God says, it's no problem for me to arrange a cash transfer. I mean, it's all his anyway. He can easily provide what they need to do what they're called to do. Where God guides us, God provides for us. And he guided them to do it, and he was going to provide what they needed to get it done. And I can testify that that's been true for us as a church. You know, so often we thought, how are we going to get through this year? How are we going to make ends meet. And yet at the end of the year, every year, time and time again, we've been able to say, God has been faithful. God has provided. God has given us what we need. We've never been in the red. God is always there for us to provide for what we need. And so that's actually what happened. If you read the history books, you'll see that actually even in Ezra chapter 6, This is what the king decreed in Ezra 6, verse 8. uh, It says here, I decree what you are to do for these elders of the Jews in the construction of the house of God. The expenses of these men are to be fully paid out of the royal treasury from the revenues of trans-Euphrates so that the work will not stop. Whatever is needed... Young bulls, rams, etc., whatever is needed as requested by the priests in Jerusalem must be given them daily without fail. You know, this must be the famous, the, the most popular verse for treasurers in churches, or for you and us in our own lives as well. Whatever is needed day by day, I will provide it for you. Whatever is needed. Sometimes it feels very last minute, doesn't it? But God still gives us what we need when we need it. And so for us too, as God calls us to build, he will provide so that we can. He will give you the energy you need. He'll give you the motivation you need. He'll give you the resources he'll need. He'll give you the faith that you need. He will give you the encouragement you need. He'll give you the people to support you so that you can get the job done. He will give you everything you need for life and godliness so that you can build for his glory. You've got to believe that. Don't let your head go down. Don't get defeated. Don't get discouraged. Don't give up. Don't allow this current situation to drag you down. But instead, Look to God. Listen to God. Hear what he says. He says, I am with you. I've been with you in the past. I am with you in the present. And I'm going to be with you in the future. I'm going to get you through this. And so be strengthened by his word. Take courage, folks. Take courage, church. Take courage, Christians. God is working his purposes out. He's not thrown by what's happening. He's on the move. He's at work. And so lift yourself, lift your heads, look to him. He's the one from when our help comes from.
Whatever God calls you to do, he will lead you and enable you to do it. And that's what I'm finding. You know, each day I find, oh no, how am I going to get through? And then God lifts me, encourages me, and I believe he can do that for you too. So let's just pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are sovereign, you're on the throne, you're more powerful than anything else. And so I ask you for people right now, if they are feeling discouraged at the magnitude of the task, if they look back with regrets, oh God, I pray right now, lift our heads, help us to see that you are with us. Remind us of your faithfulness in the past. Remind us, oh God, that right now you are here. And remind us that you are going to work out your purposes. You're going to build your church. You're going to help us to build whatever it is that you've called us to build. Oh God, I pray for discouragement to go from people's hearts and minds. I pray for defeatism to be banished. And I pray instead for faith and courage to follow you fearlessly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.